Welcome to a special episode of the Retail Exchange Podcast in association with World Retail Congress. Brought to you by Visual Thinking and Style Psychology. I think retail's learning a lot by asking the right question now, whereas it wasn't asking the right question of technology in the beginning, I think. Having smart mirrors is no replacement for actually having engaged, interested, enthusiastic sales team members that can help you. And actually, they can do more. But at the same time, those sales team members may also require an addition to their services, some help and enhancement, access to other services and tools that exist online, knowledge that they don't have access to themselves in store. And that's why technology can play a really amazing part in making this seamless, frictionless world that we talk about so enthusiastically. I think technology isn't an enabler anymore. I mean, a lot of the clients who we talk to, technology is their strategy. And, you know, they are, their business is technology. And if they don't digitise, they're, they're, they're done. Hello, I'm Ian McGarrigal, Chair of the World Retail Congress, and welcome to this series of special podcast episodes from the Retail Exchange, looking ahead to the future of retail. Each day this week, some of the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in the retail industry will be taking us to the heart of some of the pivotal questions and issues affecting retail as we enter a new decade. We start this week of special episodes with a look at how technology will likely shape retail in the years to come. This episode from the Retail Exchange podcast series looks at the issue of how retail technology will shape the future of the shopping experience in the decade ahead. I'm delighted to kick off this series by introducing and welcoming our guests, John Tipple, Global Chief Strategy Officer at Future Brand, Carl McKeever, Founder and Managing Director of Visual Thinking, and Tim Manning, Executive Producer at Jack Morton. John, Carl, Tim, welcome. Thank you for joining us. In all conversations uh, I have with retailers, they're struggling to keep up with the pace of change. You know, they talk about speed is everything. It's just moving so fast. And technology in particular is just when you think you've got a handle on one wave of new technology, there's another one coming along and uh, it costs even more and it's even more radical in uh, what it, uh, it's going to do to the business. But um, to start us off, I wondered if you can sort of give us a view on where we are in terms of what's the technology wave that we're kind of in and about to see. John? Uh, thank you. I mean, I'd, I'd start by sort of trying to put some sort of definition on what you mean by technology. Um, the way we typically talk about it with our clients at Future Brand is around, um, in two parts really. One is the sort of digital strategy and the second part is analytics, analytics strategy. So what that means, digi digital strategy is essentially um, doing things better, doing things better for consumers, um, being able to do new things, being able to automate things and make them more efficient. And then analytics is the other part, which is about making sure you're doing those things for the right people and identifying valuable, profitable customers over the long term. So if you think about technology in, in, in that way, and you think specifically about retail, what's exciting is the opportunity for things like um, people who aren't necessarily retailers to become retailers because of the possibilities of technology, uh, to attract um, new ways of, or, or to create new ways of, of being efficient and you know sorting out the back office, which I think a lot of companies are, are on, increasingly on top of. Um, and then being able to um, evolve and make sure you're able to create the right type of experiences um, for, um, for, for the right customer at the right time. And, and this is where we start talking inevitably about things like omnichannel and things like geospatial and all that sort of stuff. But I think what's interesting about that is, uh, from a brand perspective, which is the way we look at it, is how do we make sure that not just omnichannel experiences are present, but that they are interacting with each other in valuable ways, that we understand the ways that 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 um, the, the, the in-store experience is is, is informed by and um, the the the, uh, the online experience or the digital and the, and the phone experience, and being able to allow companies to do new things. For you know, Warby Parker is a, in the states a great example of a brand that's been able to start off on digital and become a bricks and mortar. Um, Amazon is obviously famously going through that at the moment. And then we're looking at, you know, everyone knows a mattress company these days. They're increasingly becoming digital <laughs> Who things. Who knew we needed something yes. <laughs> But, you know, you know, mattress companies these days are, are, are retailers. Yeah. So the whole transformation of what is a retailer is being, you know, inspired by technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Tim, what's, uh, I mean, because John, you're quite right, just uh, technology is too much for catch-all as a yeah, statement. So, um, Tim, how mm. do you view technology? I think, and I think it's got a number of parts to play. And, um, you know, we, we probably have got to be critical with when we've got technology at the front of the conversation in retail. I think technology is the enabler. 
It's the, um, but it isn't often positioned as the enabler. It's sometimes the first thing that's requested. And I think the challenge with technology is to see how we can um, weave it in to the consumer journey how we can weave it in thoughtfully and cleverly. So we do get the things that John referenced. We get data at the right point. We get technology surfacing, but only at the right point. And technology, I think, has to be this, this raft. And it's just starting to now become that joined-up raft where we're seeing multiple parts of the consumer journey that are not you know, sitting adjacent to each other. They're actually becoming a raft that's seamless, that's allowing the consumer to start the journey and continue the journey where they want, how they want, and with all those trendy terms like personalization now being realized. So I think technology is the enabler that enables those things to happen, and it's sitting front and centre to weld all of that journey together. Yeah. In the interest of creating a punchy, interesting podcast, I, te- I don't agree with that particularly. Just, <laughs> I, I, I think technology isn't an enabler anymore. I mean, a lot of the clients who we talk to, technology is their strategy. And, you know, they are, their business is technology. And if they don't digitise, they're, they're, they're done. And, and it used to be it was an enabler, but now it's the corporate strategy is digital and the two are the same. So it, it's, it's, it's moving on. And it's certainly in companies that... Maybe we just deal with more struggling companies. <laughs> but, but it seems to be shifting from and technology is becoming core to, to how businesses are growing. But whichever way you interpret it, surely it's got to be about the consumer ultimately. Yeah. Well, does it make it a, a better experience for the customer? Um, not, not, yeah, but also talent. How you can you achieve, how can technology be used and how can organisations create? You know, one of the big challenges in retail is talent. I mean, you you know, the, the, considering it's so important, the, the, the caliber of people it's able to attract and retain is really on the wane and I think the way that some of the interesting you know acquisitions that some companies are making um, for example Target in the States I don't know I'm talking about the States so much some reasons in my head but Target is you know acquiring quite a lot of interesting companies not necessarily for their, their, to grow their own business, but to maybe to grow their own talent pool, and I think that's a it's largely they're, they're they're acquiring tech startups to do that. So yeah, I think it's yeah. across the board. Yeah, Carl. For, for me, I think it's interesting because there's clearly two different kind of points of view there. Where I would come at it slightly differently again is I think recognizing that we shouldn't be uh, streaming off technology as just a thing in an entity in itself. Mm-hmm. Technology is there to serve in some form the shopping process. Now we've become more recently accustomed to this in a very connected way as a new channel of which we can buy. But I think when we look at technology, what we actually really should be starting at is is actually how will society be changing in 10 years time from now? What will be the structure of families? How will the world of work? How will we organise ourselves as groups of people? And ultimately, how will retailers then fit into that to fulfil our wants and needs through the things that we buy or the things that we do in terms of our leisure activities or downtime? But I think it's absolutely critical that we think of technology just not as a tool but as a thing which is actually an interactive element of the retail experience. And I sit very much around this table as one of the almost the veterans and having, you know, done sort of 30 years plus on the clock helping brands um, many, many years. What I can see is in many ways that retail is coming full circle and that what we're starting to see is an appreciation and a recognition that actually at the heart of all of this is the human experience. The human experience, people who need stuff. We've looked so far, I think, through the eyes of uh, a UK market, possibly in a particular strata of society. But if we really talk and think about retail 2030, perhaps this is where the technology discussion really can come into its own and, and actually apply on a global basis. Technology, in many ways, is the great enabler. This is the great thing which actually democratizes worldwide. And we put things into people's pockets and on their desktops that enable them to actually participate in retail in ways that they don't have to physically visit a store. So for me, thinking about Retail 2030, we absolutely have to think about this, is that this is a international, globalised tool, one which enables and brings together data, and at some times will bring and come together in a physical experience, in a high street, in a retail park, in a sleepy market town, of which a consumer will physically, and from a human experience perspective, interact with the brand. Yeah. I, I can't, couldn't disagree with that. And the, the thing that's interesting, I don't think many retailers are on top of, I don't think many businesses are on top of, is the relationship between all that stuff. 
it's a complicated mix. And it's the interconnectivity yeah, for me. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, if if I have a great website, what is that doing to my stores? And if my you know, and maybe understanding the attribution of of the contribution, I guess, because it could be that you have a you have stores that don't necessarily seem to be worth having, but they are playing an important role in the overall purchase. I, was it, somebody? I, Forrester were talking about in twenty. 2022, I think nearly 20% of sales will be pure e-commerce, but they also go on to say a further 40 plus percent will be somehow informed by technology or formed by the internet in some broad sense. So, And I think one of the things to kind of almost celebrate in all of this yeah. is, and of course it's a natural consequence of the 10 years that have just gone by, is how new all of this stuff is. And 10 years ago, we were first of all starting to experiment with phones in our pockets and yeah. e-commerce sites. And actually the That's consumer funny. has demonstrated that they're embracing this with great enthusiasm. Yeah. However, we've also seen that there is a starting to be evidence of plateauing in certain online markets and where the yeah. consumer is also bogged down with some of the frustrations of that. Fulfillment, delivery, post and uh, deliveries that never turn up, etc. And actually there is an absolute nostalgic harking back to people wanting and needing real-time physical stores. Absolutely. So yeah. I think for me the real question about this here is, is instead of us all fretting and getting very excited about individual technology solutions, you know, digital mirrors and drone this and drone that and all, the, all those kind of very exciting individual elements, is how does this all come together yeah. in a way mm. which is enriching and enhancing and overall improves the lives of people that work in retail and the people who are there to uh, benefit from all of that as their customers. Tim, and I, and I think from a consumer's point of view, that's where um, the consumer's got to have the technology on their terms, in their way, and we can't dictate. And I think as, as retail has taken up the technology mantle, it started by putting the technology, just inserting it wherever it felt it, it should be fit within that sales cycle. Now it doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. The consumer's rebelled. The consumer says, I don't actually want to engage with technology. No, I want to engage with an experience and the technology is enabled to make that experience happen. Yeah. So I think it's, um, I think retail's learning a lot by asking the right question now whereas it wasn't asking the right question of technology in the beginning, I think. And I, and I certainly see, and I believe what we're experiencing is that the consumer has a, a weary, but let's say enthusiastic ex, uh, acceptance of tech and that they see that tech is getting more and more integrated in other parts of their lives. And actually, whereas consumers are not necessarily looking for a replacement of some of those value-adding services that perhaps they get great value mm. from, look, would I rather talk to somebody who's knowledgeable, interested, cares about the items I take to a fitting room or actually have to spend time scanning an algorithm to see blah blah I can tell you very clearly what I would want as a consumer so, so it's a real experience sorry a qu question for you there Carl is from a consumer's perspective where is the trade-off between data uh, openness data access and actually having that technology position to give me that great experience because I think that's one of the Waterloo moments we're at at the moment as well where the consumer probably like I don't know when it was, probably 10 years ago when we even wouldn't put a credit card into an online because we were really, really unsure. And now we're at that point of uncertainty where we won't give our data away, yeah. where we're thinking, actually, our data's valuable. It should sit in a blockchain account somewhere. Yeah. And... and um, and, and actually, the consumer can really benefit from getting from giving the right data and exchanging the right way. And I think so, for me, Tim, it comes back to this kind of almost maturity now that's starting to take place within the tech areas and customers' understanding of what things can do for good and also the potential harm. And I think it's recognising that actually technology can make a very complementary side-by-side on a parity uh, with other facilities and services that exist in store. And one is not necessarily superior or detrimental to the other. You mm. actually need both to work well and side by side. So actually having smart mirrors is no replacement for actually having engaged, interested, enthusiastic sales team members that can help you. And actually they can do more. Mm. But at the same time, those sales team members may also require in addition to their services, some help and enhancement, access to other services and tools that exist online, knowledge that they don't have access to themselves in store. And that's why technology can play a really amazing part in making this seamless, frictionless world that we talk about so enthusiastically. Still to come. You know, they create opportunities to, the, in a way that some of these bricks and mortar, some of these old school established businesses that do understand service, that do have people, can become relevant and stay relevant. So I, I kind of see them as, uh, on, you know, it's that classic um, enemy and friend all yeah. in one, mm. you know, and, yeah. and I think that's quite exciting, yeah. to be yeah. honest.
I think the uneasy truth in all of this so far has been that the established legacy retailers have in a sense tried to shoehorn tech in and do versions of their existing mm. formats. They've trimmed things away and ramped things or amplified things up. And actually what you've just got is an unholy muddle out there. Are we ignoring the elephant in the room, or two elephants maybe, which is uh, Amazon Alibaba, who are going to be the biggest retailers in the world in a short period of time, and, and they are the biggest investors in technology in the world, next to Alphabet. Well, um, well look, look, I think, I think you, you know, bang on point with Alibaba. And and let's just let's just talk Alibaba for a moment because they smash Amazon Prime. Alibaba Singles Day just smashes Amazon Prime. Yeah. Uh, I think it was two years ago they sold sixty two thousand cars in uh, on Singles Day. Sixty two thousand cars without test driving, delivered to your home. Think about that package. Think about the last mile delivery that was going on there. And you know what? They sell ninety percent of those transactions through mobile. So how many people in the, listening to this podcast have bought a car on their mobile? without seeing it, without test driving and specking it. So they're in a, they are driving the market in a unique position. But I think you touch on a really interesting point there, because actually how many consumers in, in many Western markets can actually fulfil that transaction in the way you've just described? Mm. So the great auto brands have built their empires and their retail fortunes around a distributive model, which is based on a third-party dealer scenario. They have a vested interest in producing vehicles and keeping those wheels turning in the factories, but they discharge all of their responsibilities then for selling those in the marketplace and happily give those to an individual dealer or to a network. Mm. Now, what we're seeing is a real resistance by brands to enable you to literally add to basket. So you can look at it, you can spec it, you can send it to a friend, but actually what they don't want the responsibility for is physically providing you with that. And there's a good reason for that. It's good old-fashioned service. Mm. So yes, you can buy a car and you can do exactly as you described but what happens when it goes wrong and this is the last mile that we're really talking about in terms of that human interaction human experience i need help and that's where stores will always always be able to provide that I, I human think, interaction yeah, I, I think google and amazon and others kind of get that I don't, I don't see them as a particular threat i see them as quite enabling um you know google will i believe google has partners with partners with carrefour i mean 10 cent partners with google i mean these aren't retailers they're platforms and i think they create endless amounts of opportunity and they create investment they create possibility they create tax dollars sometimes and i think that they you know they create opportunities to the, in a way that some of these bricks and mortar some of these old school established businesses that do understand service that do have people can become relevant and stay relevant so i, I kind of see them as uh, on you know it's that classic um, enemy and friend all yeah. in one mm. you know and, yeah. and i think that's quite exciting yeah. to be yeah. honest carl and i think it's for me this is quite exciting because i think it now spans the generations i don't think you can necessarily box people into you know whether it's gen z x y alpha mm. i'm a boomer i'm proud of it mm. and actually i'm a very you know happy person to also embrace technology yeah. but the important thing is i need both yeah you know there are times when i want to shop online and enjoy all the ease and convenience of that kind of fulfillment but there's real times where I just want to hang out in store. Yeah. And actually, I sometimes want to hang out in store and not talk to people. And there's sometimes where I'm in a different mood and I can be highly engaging and want to take up all their time. Yeah. So, so just, so just you know, taking the opportunity, taking the Alibaba question still, and just coming back to your point there, there Carl, I think the, um, I think the store is this media opportunity. It's, it's another Instagram. It's another channel. And we're not yet seeing that fulfilled in the way that it can be fulfilled. But you think about the footfall that's moving through a, a typical mall, to moving through a typical shopping centre, and you think about those opportunities to present a media, which isn't just a media that is touched on and thumb flicked. It's actually a media opportunity to tell a story using this really rich mix of physical actors, and I mean real actors, the, the store staff, uh, data, um, personalisation, uh, video. You know, there's, there's, there's so many different media things that are coming together almost in a live store theatrical moment. And, and I, some, of the, some of the guys, sorry, some of, some of the guys are, are managing to embrace that and it's just starting to embrace. Um, and I think where I'd add perhaps just a kind of a, a thought to that, Tim, is, again, I think it's really important in the context of these conversations that we shouldn't assume that when we're talking about retail 2030, that we're talking about major city centres or we're talking about retailers of a certain size and class. What we have to recognise, I think, that in the future, retail itself is going to have much more exploration around its channels and formats. Mm. I can envisage very comfortably a time within 10 years where perhaps we will have some of our high streets which might be dispensing services mainly through C-stores or vending. 
Mm. Because actually then the consumer then makes a special trip to go out of town or to a special destination where they want to engage in this big storytelling experience that you're talking about. Well, Tesla are already doing that, I think. Yeah, Tesla exactly. And, and I, actually, I think I'll take that on a bit and go, I think retail, I think people will want to buy stuff. More people are buying products and services than ever before. If that's retail, then let's call it retail. But I just don't think it's but I think the domain the... of retailers anymore. I just think it's people want to buy and buy services that are relevant to them and they're not necessarily going, in order to get that, I'm going to go to what's known as a retailer. It's who, which brands do I feel close to and connected to? But I think the uneasy and... truth in all of this so far has been that the established legacy retailers have in a sense tried to shoehorn tech in and do versions of their existing mm. formats. They've trimmed things away and ramped things or amplified things up. And actually what you've just got is an unholy muddle out there. Actually what I see in 10 years' time that will have much clearer segmentation, streams and formats between those big legacy retailers. And actually we might find a time in future where we are very comfortable shopping in one of these historic brands that we know and love, but actually have a much lower expectation of service that we might get in that particular outlet, or that the service delivery is different. Tech might be vending, it might be auto-fulfillment, mm. it might be actually just as purely a place to click and collect but that our service expectations are different in a major city centre where we want the show to be brought to town. Mm. So, so just to add to that then, so take, take Tesla on, but back to the Chinese market. WeChat have a great formula, which is a rolling store. It moves to the locality. It then gets dropped. It has camera recognition. It's all purchased by, by RFID scan. You RFID scan in an Amazon Go style format. And they've got hundreds of these units out at the moment. They're all paid through the WeChat app. That's how you actually then fulfil. So, so I think local locality, the locality question is super important. And mm. whether that locality means I've got some VR glasses and I'm Justin Bieber's taking me around his record collection and showing me what his top tracks are while he's leaning on the mantelpiece to say what he'd choose. And would I like to now download these tracks onto my Spotify playlist? You know, I think there's... there's do you think that'll really happen though? Do you know, I just think that's connected fridges yeah. all over again, isn't it? Oh no, no, the, you know, and I think that's Google. So Google, take Google Glass, uh, prototype released at the wrong time, you know, and all that sort of stuff. Okay. I, I think I think there is an opportunity where we, you know, now we're in a VR space where people can interact together. So that's a movement from VR. It used to be you just saw a world and you look around 360 or 720 or whatever you wanted to do and got in a got in a muddle. Now we're actually in that space where we can actually meet in that VR virtual space together. You know, Second Life from years ago has now come to has now come into fruition. So I think loca I think locality is important because I think we want to shop on our terms in our way. And technology is that enabler. And probably back to one of the points which you 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 said right at the top of the chat is technology is right the way through the value chain. Mm. It's back-end logistics it's 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 in the middle where it's middle market middle office and it's actually taking the store to you and then it's front end either creating theater in the right place at the right time or it's just creating speed you know amazon go i just do shop and go yeah you know yeah. like a good feels shampoo like, feels like good old shoplifting yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and i tested the store in san francisco and it you know it's it's great yeah. coming up in part two of this special retail 2030 podcast series we explore how technology can be best used as an effective customer tool. And today it's just gotten a lot more complicated because uh, retail is, has a lot more channels to play with. It's got a lot more sort of information um, to deal with and it's got a lot more disruptors. So coming up with a single view of who the customer is. Because classically, client organizations have lots of views about um, who the customer is and they're all correct. But I think one of the, the, the real trends is the tyranny of choice and, and this fear of getting things wrong. And actually, I see very little technology that, that is helping the customer to get over that barrier. Retailers that are, that are, that are here now are going to have to work really, really hard to build that brand, to protect that brand, to serve their customers, because these little startups are coming snapping at their heels now. You, you go on, on the tube on public transport and look at the adverts and work out how many of those companies were here 10 years ago. Very few of them are, and that's only going to accelerate. So we raced incredibly through our allotted time, so we're going to have to pull it to uh, to a conclusion. But to, to maybe wrap it up, um, if I can use the term technology, just still in its broadest sense. Yeah, I mean, you know. I think you've re-emphasised its power and importance quite clearly, and we're looking at a, an endpoint of ten years from here. Sitting down, working with your clients, where would you advise them to kind of really focus on that's going to make the real difference uh, to their businesses as they look to 
if they did a 10-year plan? Uh, uh, functional teams, cross-functional teams, um, which is a kind of extension of talent. Breaking down silos of... Old. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, there'll be a natural, you know, movement towards, you know, data scientists, data engineers, you know, put the word data analytics onto a job title. Um, but I think that there'll be a real need for people who are able to have a foot in the in their domain and in the, in the category people who could, and at the same time understand the needs of marketing and sales and all the commercial side of businesses yeah. and at the same time be able to integrate and understand how data analytics can can bring it all together and i think that that will be a real challenge for the next 10 years because yeah. we haven't we don't we don't develop and and, and particularly uh, train and, and educate people in that way and i think that's probably the biggest challenge not just for retail but for just about every business going yeah. you know yeah. Yeah. And, and I, well, I, th I think for me, it's the it's the red thread at the front end. So it is that it is that drawing together of uh, for the shopper of being able to shop when you want, how you want, in that in that personalised way. And I think back to the, the opening statement, I think tech is that enabler that will enable that to happen. Um, and and it will happen. It's best when it's hidden and it's deep and it's just making this thing be facilitated. It's actually not visible and it's not a thing that you talk about. Yeah. I just get a great experience. I guess it's really recognising that it's not a one-size-fits-all scenario. And I think that for all retailers, it's going to be about having a balanced investment strategy. Yes, you need to invest in the tech, but you also need to invest in the stores and the people. One is not mutually exclusive of each other. And I think we've seen many more retailers uh, recognising that and waking up to that, where some of the big and early investments and, and probably deploying more of their investments into the area. Now, needs to be rebalanced and that for me is what will happen. Carl, John and Tim, thank you. It's been a really great, really focused uh, discussion. Really enjoyed it. So thank you uh, all very much indeed. Enjoyed this special series of episodes from the Retail Exchange. As regular listeners to our podcast will know, the Retail Exchange is committed to throwing the spotlight on key issues affecting the industry, opening the door to knowledge and insight that will help retailers and brands on their journey to retail success. Our accompanying Retail 2030 Futures Report takes a deeper dive into the issues covered and is available to download this week. Visit theretailexchange.co.uk for your free copy. Welcome back to this special episode of the Retail Exchange, exploring the future of retail in the decade ahead. I'm your guest host, Ian McGarrigal, Chair of the World Retail Congress. To continue our discussion on how technology will shape the future of retail, I'm delighted to now be joined by Ian Patterson, Head of Retail Customer Engineering for Google, David Cohn, Customer and E-Commerce Director at Heels, and Aaron Shields, Executive Strategy Director at Fitch. Ian, David, and Aaron, thank you for joining us. You know, technology moves so fast and the ways of technology move so fast. How would you describe the, the key things that retailers need to focus on? I mean, the thing that we hear a lot about, of course, is AI and ro robotics. Those are some key areas that uh, are a big topic of conversation amongst retailers, sort of uh, fear and trepidation and excitement in, in all mixed up in those. Would that be right? And what other technologies would you say that we should be really focused on? Ian? Well, a AI is obviously is, is going to be significant, but, but AI is nothing without data. Um, and and you know, having access to the right data and bringing it together in, into one place is, is, is critical. And that, that, that hasn't changed for the last 10 years, really, and it will continue to be the case. Uh, most of the retailers that we work with have got data in silos all over the place, different places, different formats. Uh, and one of the challenges is bringing that together into one place so that you can do some sensible analytics on it, you know, have the right governance on it, be able to trust that data. Only when you've done that can you then start to do the AI machine learning. Otherwise, it's kind of the garbage in, garbage out principle. Um, but yeah, definitely AI, AI is, um, you know, um, it's, it's an enabling technology. It enables retailers to do incredible things in terms of understanding their customers and serving their customers better. And, and uh, you know, as, as we've we talked about in a previous podcast, you know, a lot of it is about, you know, consumers bringing what they want to, to the retailer and the retailer being able to understand what that is and serve it better. So at the moment, you're seeing things like, you know, recommendation engines using AI. Uh, but, but you know, going forward, it's going to be things like, you know, being able to um, predict stock levels, predict demand, looking at social media, seeing what the, the next trends is coming along are, you know, whether that's the next kind of favorite food ingredient, whether it's the next kind of, you know, color of the season for, for fashion. Um, so yes, absolutely, AI, AI is going to be critical, but you've got to get the data right first. Yeah. And in terms of a consumer tool in, in the smartphone, which has really revolutionised retail, we've got 5G just starting out. I mean, how, how do you view something like that as a, a technology? Is that going to lead to a new digital revolution, do you think? 
I think every new technology drives something innovative. I think, um, you know, I mean, we're still in an environment where lots of retailers are at the stage where it's a simple catalog-based website. Um, and I think, you know, there are one or two retailers that are getting on board with these kind of more immersive technologies, you know, really kind of, um, you know, looking at driving, you know, large amounts of, of video content on, onto the device and then providing that really kind of show-stopping experience for their customers. Uh, I think 5G will help with that. Um, uh, I, I, th- I think, you know, getting the basics right before we do that, it's, 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 it's fine to do kind of like really kind of flashy graphics and great video, but, you know, getting the basics right, understanding what it is that your customers are wanting and giving it to them. That's got to be the key thing. I think, you know, 5G is an enabling technology for other things down the line. I think most retailers are not yet at the point where they're going to be really taking advantage of it any more than 4G or previous technologies. Yeah. yeah. So, Aaron, the process when you're sitting down, starting out a project with a client must feel very different from five years ago, certainly 10 years ago, uh, and obviously thinking here about the next 10 years, what, what, are, what are the critical things uh, that you're considering when you're looking at quite big projects with, uh, with retailers and brands? Yeah, I mean, I think my job five, 10 years ago used to be about trying to create the right strategies to you know, understand what customers want and um, develop a strategy that a retailer can put forward to give it to them. Um, so it's all about finding the answer. Uh, and today, it's just gotten a lot more complicated because uh, retail is, has a lot more channels to play with. It's got a lot more sort of information um, to deal with, and it's got a lot more disruptors who are chasing uh, their tails. So my job today, probably 60%, 70% of it, is much um, less about finding the right answer, which is definitely still part of the job, um, but much more uh, about aligning internal organizations. So coming up with a single view of who the customer is. Because classically, client organizations have lots of views about um, who the customer is, and they're all correct. So kind of bringing up what Ian is saying, you know, how do you bring together these, these databases um, around the customer to get uh, a sensible view of who that person is um, and understand what they want and how to make them happy? Um, you know, it's breaking down these data silos that are really important, but also just helping um, different teams come together and agree on what they want to do for the customer. So it's hugely important. Um, and the rest is down to technology and stitching that together. But um, I guess that's how my job's changed over the last 10 years, how we see it sort of changing in, in the future. I very much agree with Ian that technology is an enabling thing, that um, we're not really ready, that the technological platforms are, are more advanced than um, what we as consultants or retailers are, are able to activate on, on today. I think what we have to realize is that um, retail is only really coming to pressure um, under the last 10 years since the advent of the iPhone. And if you think about um, you know, where technology in stores comes from today, a lot of it's from technology vendors coming in and trying to create um, you know, proof of uh, concept in the, in the stores to, to sell it on to other retailers. So it's, it's really in, in its infancy. Mm-hmm. Saying that, there's, there's three sort of big trends that, that keep us honest in, in what we do. Uh, and the first one is that we know customers are want to continue to shed meaningless friction in their lives. So turn two trips into one, you know, make it push button simple, uh, and know what I want a little bit before I ask for it. Right. Um, the second one is uh, with all this safe time, give me some rich experiences, make it a bit more fun. Right. Online basically sucks all the convenience missions, these convenience trips, uh, into your mobile phone. So what does that leave going out into physical stores? Well, I don't have to worry about all the mundane tasks anymore. I can have a bit of fun with my extra time, and that's you know that's not going to change. Uh, and the third is um, is more complicated. It's around customer service, uh, and some of these comments have been mentioned in the in the early interviews, but. Um, we're going to be self-serving more because that's what we're sort of used to doing. Um, but when we want service, uh, we're an awful lot more demanding in, uh, in what we expect. So um, when, we, when we need help, uh, we're already talking to a much more educated consumer. They know a lot more about our products and and businesses than they ever have, and their expectations have been set by the likes of Google uh, and Apple and Tesla and lots of other leading brands who say, actually, the benchmark is here, not there. So it's it's really challenging. We we talk about a 
uh, a relationship of, of aprons and algorithms. So how do we, once we have a, a consistent uh, view of a customer, how do we make our staff smarter and better able to serve them? So it's, uh, I think it's those three things, no matter what happens with technology, that were our constant truths, if you like, for, uh, for customers and keep us honest. It's an interesting point on self-service. Is it, is it driven by us as consumers that that's what we want? Uh, or is it the technology is there so retailers think, oh, that's great and we can save some money as well? I, I, I think we enjoy shopping. As people, yeah. I think we like sort of, we almost treat it as a job. I mean, everyone's got like a favorite shopping occupation. It might be technology, it might be fashion, it might be food. Um, but I think we really get into these things. And uh, these th these mobile devices in our pocket help us keep on top of our, you know, these occupations that mm -hmm. we have. So yeah. I think we like to get good at it. And I think self-serving is, is part of that and sort of gives us control. Yeah. Um, I think when the more suspects forms of self-servicing, like let's say self-checkout at grocery stores, are proven to be a bit of a pain in the bum for people. But, um, you know, that's obviously a one-sided um, relationship as opposed to doing something for the consumer. Yeah. David? I think, I think perhaps you're um, ignoring one of the things that I think is a significant trend and a significant um, greater trend as, as the technology's increased is that self-service is more difficult than it's ever been. And, and the tyranny of choice that we're faced with is, is unbelievable. In the old days, if you wanted to buy a TV, you'd have one shop that you would go into and there'd be a choice of 10. Mm. Uh, I did a little Google search looking for a 50-inch TV. Uh, I don't know if you can guess how many uh, returns came back. There were 8 billion pages, <laughs> okay? So, so then you think, well, why not use Forget online it. reviews? Yeah. Online reviews, they're fantastic. You search for reviews of 50-inch TV, you get 800 million pages returned. Now, for me, this is a theme which is increasingly affecting customer psychology. And it's, A, it's incredibly difficult now to make a choice about anything. You know, you try buying any product that's of any importance and you will find you've got a massive stress associated with that product and a massive fear of getting it wrong. And, and I think one, one of the jobs of the retailer um, is to reassure the customer that they are making a good choice. Technology can obviously play a part in that. Uh, but, but, I, but, but my concern is that there's this obsession with algorithms, this obsession with AI. It's ignoring one fundamental precept of human behavior is that humans like to talk to humans. And you know whether we're at a stage where we've passed the Turing test yet or not, yeah, is that the best way I'm going to get reassurance is by talking to another human. And I'll give you a little example. Whenever I go into a restaurant, I go in with my kids who are now in their early 20s, and I will always ask the, the waitress, I'll say, is the lamb any good? And, and she'll say, oh, yes, the lamb's very good. Uh, many people have ordered it today. And my kids will say, why have you bothered asking this question? Well, you know <laughs> they're not going to say it's shit. Yeah? And I say... I, I, I know that they're just doing a job, but I want to hear them say it. Uh, and, and it's because... And convincingly. There's, there's, a mil, <laughs> yeah. there's millions of years of yeah, human yeah. evolution have gone into this little brain of mine and have said, I, I want to see somebody telling me something and I want to believe them. And uh, you know, to me, AI is still an awful long way away. Of course, it can enhance certain things. It can simplify certain things. I completely agree about friction. You, you don't want anything unnecessary. In, your, in, your, in, your, in the process of buying. But, but I think one of the, the, the real trends is the tyranny of choice and, and this fear of getting things wrong. And actually, I see very little technology that, that is helping the customer mm. to get over that barrier. Still to come on this special episode of the Retail Exchange podcast. And sometimes, although it may be illogical, it may be costly, it may seem pointless. It, it actually enhances the experience to have people in positions where they can interact with you. The good news is that we're, we're sort of moving past the just add water approach to digital. I completely agree with what you say, but how can you replicate that on in, in your digital experience or your customers' experience of, of Heels or any retailer yeah. in terms well, of... Well, I th I think that's, a great, that's a great question. And, and I think, um, you, you know, I, I, as, a, as a retailer, I'm besieged by technologists. Yeah? Every day I get 50 things in my inbox telling me whether it's personalization, whether it's AI, whether it's big data, whether it's the cloud, 
you name it, everybody will tell me that they've got the next big thing that's going to revolutionize my business. Um, personalization is a big theme, okay? But we decided to invert it at Heels. So rather than put technology into the stores, which, you know, has generally been an abject failure, kiosks, iPads, it's all gimmick and uh, just cliche. What we've done is we've brought people into the digital experience. So, so we have a live chat application that doesn't connect you with a customer service team. It connects you with people on the shop floor mm. who are basically using a WhatsApp type uh, application. If you want to know about sofas, you go to the sofa expert. If you want to know about lighting, you go to the lighting expert. The people in shops aren't that busy anymore, okay? Yeah, they're not, in, in our shops, they're not dealing with hordes of customers queuing up. They love the product. They know an awful lot about the product. And if the customer wants that human interaction now in the digital experience, they can experience the human contact. And, and we've had incredible results from it. Mm, that's fantastic. I mean, our founder, Rodney Fitch, said people come into store in order to talk to somebody or touch something. I think those yeah. principles still hold true today. I think the, the the challenge is, and actually the opportunity, is very much in line with what you're talking about. So if you think about physical design, physical design is getting more amazing because it's getting more experiential and retailers are, are either requiring to or choosing to spend more money on it. You think about digital, yeah, okay. So the digital is coming in to remove friction and to create atmosphere and do um, lots of other things in between. But you think about the human, it's, it's the big unexplored element of the retail experience because we're shifting from a, a low-cost model that gave us wider distribution to a higher cost model that is um, aimed around acquiring new customers or retaining valuable customers. And that requires a different approach to people, very much the kind of approach that you're talking about. And I think the only thing I would add to that is that we're, we need to find approaches that not just retain the best people, but give them the best tools for the job. And I think part of that is going to be just really good product knowledge and really good sales training, but part of that is also going to be informing them about who they're talking to. So especially on, a, on maybe sort of the bigger purchases. So if I'm sitting in Mercedes, I want to know that customer who's come in and I want to know their purchase history and want to know everything about them so I can, I can serve them better and take more shortcuts to go past all the pain and get more into kind of like the added value consulting. David? I, I, think, I think certainly for, for higher ticket businesses, mm -hmm. and we, you know, we are a higher ticket business, I think, I think we have to adopt what I would describe as more of a B2B approach to, to our customers. And, and again, you know, CRM, you, you know, that's probably a, something I get maybe five approaches a day about a great sort of 360-degree CRM solution. But but adopting this B2B approach says when you're buying a car, when you're buying a high-ticket piece of furniture, it's a process, okay? There's no, no getting away from it. You're not going to turn up from a PPC ad for a sofa and buy a three and a half thousand pound sofa in that sitting you're probably going to visit the shop you're probably going to talk to a friend you're probably going to visit the website three or four times and have a look at it and see you know what what it looks like from certain different angles if we can capture the customer in that journey then we can take them through each of the steps yeah we we can help them we can help reassure them we can help guide them and we can get them to the product they want. And we can take it further than that because once they've bought it, we can give them the after service, the aftercare. And I think it's, it's tremendously difficult, particularly for a small business like us, to come up with a technological solution that would deal with every scenario. Um, so what better, you know, if, if, if someone's spent that amount of money, surely you can dedicate 10 minutes of somebody's time to, to phone them up after two months and say, how are you getting on with the table? How do you feel about your sofa? They're not, we're not going to try and sell them anything, but I, I guarantee you that if, if they've had that positive interaction, they'll engage better with our brand. Yeah. I mean, where technologies like AI can really help is in things like in two things handling the mundane stuff and, and helping on the added value stuff. So if you look at, for example, what Ocado are doing in their contact center, they get thousands of emails every day. And some of them say, you know, I'd just like to thank the driver. Thanks very much. And some of them say, I'm not going to be in when my delivery is due. Please, can I reschedule it to such and such a date? And that's mundane. And some of them are, where's my delivery? And that needs to be dealt with. But then if you look at um, other other uses of call center technology, you've got, uh, you know, um, 
AI that can sit in the background, can actually listen to the customer conversation while they're on the phone with an agent, but is listening to what the customer's asking and surfacing the right information for the agent so the agent's not having to say, let me just put you on hold while I go and find all the right stuff. Mm-hmm. It's finding policies, it's finding information, it's finding customer records. And I think that's a really, you know, kind of creative use of the technology yeah. there. It's not taking away the agent. The, the, the agent is there delivering that service, but it's helping them mm-hmm. and it's, it's helping to give a better service to their customer. Yeah, I think the, the the interesting sort of focus around people, and and I think it's a huge, relatively untapped opportunity. There are ones that are doing it really well, um, like you said, like Hills, like you know, let's say some car uh, manufacturers, etc. Um, but the to characterize a challenge for the future, you know, we're working with a big hotel group, one that you probably know, um, and you can get you can take away a lot of friction of the hotel check-in process through technology. Right, check in. You know, buy a room through your app. Your app, your app becomes your key. Uh, what is the role of the person of the of the service agent in this? Typically, historically, the agent has been there to remove friction. Right, they've been the ones who are sort of taking care of all those sort of steps in the journey that would otherwise be impossible for the the customer alone to take care of. Now, because of so much self servicing, it's completely changing the role. And we almost have to like find ways to to interject new service opportunities and make that person stay better. So it's not it's it's all about almost reinventing new value added services. Look, I mean, yeah. you know, what could be more ridiculous than having a doorman in a posh hotel? Right. Somebody to open the door for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we you know, we have these things now called electric doors, for you know, some time. automatic doors, <laughs> and they've been around for some time. Why have a guy dressed in a, a coat and a nice hat? Open the door for you. It's because it's a, it's creating a different part of the experience, and and I think hotels are fascinating. Uh, maybe you know my kids will want to walk into a hotel where there's no people, mm-hmm. but but I can tell you, you know, we were in Copenhagen a couple of weeks ago. We walk into a hotel. There's one guy who's obviously a little too busy to deal with us. Uh, you know, my wife was thrown into a tailspin. You know what? I, you know, it's part of the experience, I think, is engaging with people. And and sometimes, although it may be illogical, it may be costly, it may seem pointless, it, it actually enhances the experience to have people in positions where they can interact with you. Who wants to sit at a bar with a robotic bartender? Absolutely. Right. <laughs> yeah. I love the points you've all been making there. It's that technology and understanding of data is a can really enable retailers to think differently about it's not just that you know one sale you know whether it's a high pur- high purchase price uh, a sofa or whatever because you won't see that customer again for another 5 10 years but actually you can build a relationship can't you with a customer I, I think retail, you know, in the old days, I worked for uh, Woolworths, I've worked for WSP, I worked for, for companies that are basically purveyors of other people's products, yeah? I don't see any future for purveyors of other people's products. A retailer is going to have to be a brand. It's going to have to be a brand that stands for something. And the something that it stands for is, is the benefit that it brings to the customer. And whether that benefit is a product benefit or a service benefit, or let's, you know, get more fanciful, it's a lifestyle benefit... That, that is what the retailer has to stand for because uh, the marketplaces, the places that purvey other people's products, that, that opportunity is gone. That's Alibaba, that's Amazon. They are purveying everybody's product in a far better way than you'll ever be able to do. So, so, the, so the retailer has to become a brand that stands for something and delivers something to the customer. In our case, you know, we're, we're trying to make people have nicer happier homes yeah we're trying to give them pleasure when they walk through their front door yeah and and we've got to think about that more broadly than just product yeah we've got to think about what what are the other aspects that we can deliver that, that are going to bring that to the customer uh, and it's not it's not just about we sell you something you walk out with it um and then we forget about you it is the after sales it's it's the consultancy whatever you want to call it it's it's if we're about enhancing people's homes and making them happier within their own four walls, we've got to think more broadly and then we've got to work out how we deliver it. Ian, on the flip side of that and one of the other angles to technology is that while you're trying to do that and while you're trying to build this brand, there are competitors out there who are starting from scratch and are using the technology and this, this idea that you know two guys in a coffee shop with a laptop and, and access to the Wi-Fi can, can kind of change the world. Um, 
so so retailers that are that are, that are here now are going to have to work really really hard to build that brand to protect that brand brand to serve their customers because these little startups are coming snapping at their heels now you you go on on the tube on public transport and look at the adverts and work out how many of those companies were here 10 years ago very few of them are and that's only going to accelerate so you know it's 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 no longer good enough for a retailer to think, hey, I'm okay, I've got my customers here. They have to work on that brand. They have to refine it, constantly innovate. It's kind of innovate or die, basically, because there are small companies coming up that have the technology. It's basically removed some of the barriers to entry in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right, Ian, but I think that it's not just the small guys. I mean, it's not just mattresses and, and shavers. It's, um, you know, Hammer from Alibaba is one of the most sophisticated physical retailers I've seen in my life. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're an amazing service experience. You can go in and pick your, your fish swimming around the tank. Um, you, you queue up to have it weighed, and five or 10 minutes later, it's sitting there in front of the table, fully prepared for you, and you're drinking it with a cheap beer with your friends after work. So, you know, this is a, a wonderful service uh, and physical experience overlaid on top of the fact that you can get your groceries delivered to you within 30 minutes if you, uh, but if you order on your app. So it's, uh, you know, the, these, these are big machines moving into mm-hmm. physical. But, but, I, but I do think it's important to, to, to understand what, what is it that they are tru- truly delivering the customer. And if you look at the, the big success stories in UK grocery, you're looking mm-hmm. at Lidl and Aldi, neither of which uh, have a transactional website. Mm-hmm. And if you walk into their stores, you know, I challenge you to find any technology other than the tills. I'm sure they're using plenty behind the scenes to ma- manage their stock and you know, determine what goes in which store. But um, you know, th- these, these are brands that are offering something fantastic to the customer. And the, the technological um, delivery of it is, is negligible. So I think it's, yeah. you, know, th- th- you can get swept up in technology, in some cases, the product is the technology. I'll, I'll buy that, but but the the you've got to be delivering something real, yeah, to the to the customer, yeah. That there's there's going to be the as I say the intermediary space. It's not gone because there'll be intermediaries that crop up. But Amazon, I was going to say they don't make anything, but obviously they do make some. TV content nowadays. Google doesn't make anything. Yeah, they're just sitting between the brands and the customer, and and the retailers got to work out what it stands for as a brand because the old-fashioned retailing of it, which is you have a shop that people visit and they buy stuff, you know, that's almost incidental to the fact that you are a brand that is delivering something real uh, to the customer. So you, you think about that first and foremost, uh, David, and then the, the technology, if I can call it that, follows behind to, to, to deliver that vision of what you stand for and your, what your brand is? Um, it's, a, it's a little simplistic. You know, there are, there are aspects of what... Uh, the, the customer is in different points of the process, yeah? And we've got to understand where they are in the process and how we can assist them. So, for example, we've made quite a big investment in 360-degree rendering technology so that a customer can see all of our sofas in all of our fabrics and we've taken that on to AR and I have no doubts we'll take that on to VR in, in, in some format. That's because that helps the customer make the right choice. That's part of this reassurance process that, that uh, I referred to earlier that you know to, to, to banish or to, to minimize the fear of getting it wrong we're saying, well, you may like that fabric and you may like that sofa, but but here's how it looks. And indeed, here's how it looks in, in your space. So, so I think I think technology has a place at different parts of the process. It's just it's just a different place depending on where the customer is in the process. But I think um, the, uh, the good news is that we're, we're sort of moving past the just add water approach to digital. Uh, exactly. So I think if you went into the Selfridges Beauty Hall five years ago, you would find no end of digital. Really high quality content, uh, a lot of it, you know, sort of the five minute makeover, sort of new routines, uh, beauty hints and tips, uh, really high quality content, nice little pieces of interactivity. Um, but it's all gone now because people are in there to talk to the beauty assistant. The only piece of technology that you really see in there now is um, large format digital displays displaying brand. 
right? Because it's not the right time and place for that. Um, but if you do sort of um, research into beauty as we do, um, you find that most customers go online to get their inspiration. They might be looking at, um, you know, the usual suspects, the Instagrams and Pinterest, etc. They might be looking at, um, uh, you know, online uh, magazines and such. But uh, that's where they're going to get inspired. And the store becomes almost a place to validate that last-minute uh, decision uh, or to do replenishment. So the, the role is really sort of changing, and that's a, that's a global phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. So it's back to the experiential sort of effect of the store yeah. and the fact that the store may not be there to actually conduct the sale, but it's there to to give, to give people the experience that they can see, feel, and touch. That's right. I mean, the, the different elements of a store are kind of like physical, human, and digital, as we say again, and they're really hard to emulate um, in each of those different elements. So the physical store is really about uh, a tactile experience, an immersive experience, and doing something immediately. And those are kind of magical. You can come into store uh, thinking you're going to buy one thing and be persuaded by the next because it's taking advantage of these natural sort of um, benefits. Um, digital is there because it's got, you know, infinite choice and a huge power of information and interactivity and incredible storytelling. And those are really hard to emulate by humans or, or physical. Um, you know, the human is there to be empathetic, yeah. you know, to provide some sort of sense of, of community. And, you know, it's really hard to emulate those in bots and, uh, you know, um, Amazon lockers. Uh, I think, <laughs> right? I th so. I think to, taking that on, a, you know, serendipity yeah. is, a, is a big part of the store experiences. You know, we're, again, we're trained as human beings to scan a horizon and our, and our eyes will naturally alight on the thing that is of interest to us. Uh, you know, the, the millions of years of evolution mean this happens. You know, if you like this, you like that. Uh, doesn't do that. Yeah. It, yeah. Yes, it, it has a role for sure. Mm -hmm. But but you cannot currently replicate that experience of walking into a shop, scanning it, and thinking, "My God, that looks good," um, and then. You know, building that up in your—you uh, don't have to build up in your imagination. It's there, right in front of you. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, humans need prompts to for their for their brain to work, yeah, and yeah. and uh, I think serendipity will mean that there is always some sort of store presence. I think it's very unlikely there'll be as many stores uh, for any retailer in the future. Tr tremendously unlikely, but but uh, if they are to survive, they've got to fulfill that sensory role you talked about. They've got to fulfill okay. a social role, okay. but I think they've also got to fulfill this serendipity role. Um, unfortunately, we have to draw this to a conclusion because it's gone by so fast because it's been absolutely fast. I, I love the discussion around the blending of the, the human and the, the technology and uh, where that leads retail, but to sort of help draw the strands together, and we're obviously focused on 2030, can I ask each of you how different do you imagine if we could just leap forward 10 years in the blink of an eye, what would we be looking at in 2030? I mean, would we be utterly shocked at what we're seeing? Uh, how different would it be? Uh, I suspect that, you know, you'll see another handful of, you know, sort of high street, big name brands that have disappeared. The ones that don't choose to innovate or can't innovate. Um, and I think you'll see lots of disruption. Uh, I think technology can be, it, it can be an enabler, an enabler and it can be a disruptor. Um, I think the companies that will succeed will be the ones that get the basics right, get the data right and use AI effectively. Yeah, David. It's to me and, uh, you know, to, to bang on the same drum we've been banging already is brands will have to be more tightly defined as to what they stand for and they'll have to be absolutely rigorous about how they deliver it and technology will be a part of how they deliver it, for sure, but they have to understand what they stand for because any brand that doesn't understand what they stand for and doesn't deliver it will not exist. Uh, yeah, I guess to build on David's point, I think what we're seeing is a splitting happening in retailer. Um, on one side, we have a, a, a almost more clearer definition around brands that have really strong uh, parameters to them in terms of their service offering, their design, their brand ethos, uh, et cetera. And people will always flock, I think, to those, those brands. Uh, on the other side, we have uh, the emergence of, of ecosystem players. Uh, and what that means is that financial institutions are now very much looking at being um, real estate agents and taking over those kinds of markets. They're trying to find a way to become useful to um, customer groups well beyond their traditional confines. 
And this, of course, is being led by companies like Google, like Apple, like Alibaba, like Amazon. But they're getting into all new product categories and owning those categories and retailing inside of those categories. So I think you're going to see the ecosystem players and the, the single brands who are going to be more tied to, to product lines um, really kind of battling it out. And, and, you know, who knows what that future will look like. Yeah. Well, it's great. I take from all three of you a really positive vision of uh, the future. It's there to be seized, you know, whether it's from the technology and the, uh, the and the brands sort of having a clear view of who they who they're serving. So, um, so Aaron, David, and Ian, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Cheers. Thanks. If you enjoyed this special episode from the Retail Exchange, then be sure to check out the accompanying Retail 2030 Futures Report from the Retail Exchange and the World Retail Congress as we take a deeper dive into the issues covered. Visit theretailexchange.co.uk for your free copy and be sure to book your ticket for the 2020 World Retail Congress in Rome. Once again, bringing together the leaders of today's global retail industry to explore the new relevance agenda that is shaping the future of retail. Find out more by visiting worldretailcongress.com. I look forward to seeing you there and thanks again for listening. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to a special episode of the Retail Exchange podcast in association with World Retail Congress, brought to you by Visual Thinking and Style Psychology. Stay up to date with new podcast episodes by subscribing online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter, hashtag Retail Exchange. Thanks for listening.